Welcome to this episode of Sea Trade Maritime Masterclass. My name is Emma Howell, Director of Digital of Sea Trade Maritime. Over the next 20 minutes or so, I look forward to discussing with Cameron Mitchell, Director of the Isle of Man Ship Registry, his significant experience in the maritime industry and his advice for graduates wanting to progress within this fascinating shipping sector. We will also touch on his role as ambassador for Sea Trade Maritime Club and how he hopes to grow this initiative. Welcome, Cameron. Good afternoon. Nice to see you, Emma. Cameron, you studied marine engineering at Glasgow College of Nautical Studies. Do you come from a marine background and what made you specifically want to study marine engineering? Yeah, that's correct. I did my qualification at Glasgow College of Nautical Studies. I didn't actually come from a marine background. I suppose growing up in the west coast of Scotland on an island prepared me well for sea or for maritime. I think my mother once said that I managed to fall in every piece of water around the <laughs> island during my youth. But we did have friends of the family that were involved in maritime, both sort of fathers, grandfathers and daughters. So I was always aware of the maritime background, played around in a lot of boats as a child in a youth, including a bit of time in the fishing industry for summer holidays and things like that. So marine engineering came about, I suppose, again from a love of all things mechanical, um, cars, motorbike at a young age, uh, an off-road motorbike, which I used to take apart and put back together to find out how it worked, I suppose, and to try and fix it because it regularly broke down. And that got me into the engineering side of things, I think. Also, Open High School, which is the high school I went to, was one of the last schools in Scotland that did nautical science and O grade level, but also did an engineering class. So separate from physics, separate from maths, there was a proper O level in engineering. And that, I think, probably shaped a lot of my thinking around what I wanted to do. Right. Okay. So from there, you had a sea growing, or I should say sea going career even, as an engineer working for Geestline, Maersk and Farstad. You moved to the Isle of Man in 2001 and joined the island's growing ship register, initially as a surveyor. You became its deputy director in 2018 and director in 2019. Tell us a little bit more about the Isle of Man ship registry and its activities, please, Cameron. The Isle of Man ship registry has been around for a very long time as a register, traditionally for Isle of Man craft. And then in 1984, we became an international register which I suppose is akin to a second register then of the UK shipping register. As an international register and as a Cat 1 member of the Red Ensign Group, that allows us to basically register any type of vessel. So we register pleasure yachts from sort of zero to over 24 metres. We register fishing vessels. We have a local small ships register, which local residents or UK passport holders can use. And then we have our big registers, I suppose, for international seagoing fleet, which is split almost in thirds now between wet cargo, dry cargo, and others, as we call them. So we have a 17th largest ship registry in the world at the moment, with approximately 13.8 million gross registered tons on the register. We are a 
pragmatic flag, I would say. We have a robust regulatory framework, but we work with our clients to achieve the best possible outcome. We tend to form collaborative relationships, I would say, with our clients. We find that that works best. We find that companies are probably more honest with us and more prepared to ask us questions through that collaborative working relationship. You're actually coming up to your 20th year anniversary with the registry. Tell us how you progressed your career through this time and what you'd say to graduates and starters wanting to work their way up the career ladder, especially if they are staying within one organisation. I joined the Islemanship Registry in 2003 as a surveyor. I think fresh from a maritime background, the introduction of the ISM code, the ISPS code. And then during my time here, there was the introduction of other international legislation, right? the Maritime Labour Convention. So from being in a seagoing background where it's quite practical, I would say, to coming into a, a registry background where you have to have a really good knowledge of legislation, policy, international conventions, etc. Allows you or makes you think a bit differently, I suppose. And during that time, I got various qualifications. So uh, International Safety Management Code Auditor, ISO 9001, 14001, Quality Standards Auditor, ISPS, MLC, etc. So I became qualified to do all of those audits. What that allowed within the ship registry, which I should say is the division of the Ireland government and remains so. So we currently sit within the Department for Economic Development, which is an outward facing Department of Government. The title of the name suggests what we do. We try and encourage new business to the island. So we're sitting in within that government structure. What it does allow is you to look at other opportunities elsewhere. So for me and about 2013, I'd done a considerable piece of work, I think, by then at the ship registry and was looking for other challenges. And again, because we sit within government, I would say that there's opportunities out with the ship registry. So I took some of those opportunities. I did at the time what they called a development centre, which aligned your current skills with skills that other departments of government were looking for. And that enabled me to make a move elsewhere for a period of time to gain new skills and meet new people within government, see how different government departments and divisions work. So that allowed me to broaden my horizons, I suppose. Now, not everyone has those same opportunities, and I appreciate that. But I think as a graduate or as a, a starter wanting to work their way up in a career, I think you have to obviously want to do something. And I would always say to anybody that the, the best part of my job is I love doing it. Even when I've worked elsewhere in government, I've enjoyed doing those roles as well. So don't do something that you feel you have to. I would say do something that you know that you're going to enjoy and will stretch you. And I think that's the important part. I've always thrived on challenge. I like challenges in my career. I like being able to stretch myself. So that's what I would say to anybody that's starting in the career ladder is challenge yourself, stretch yourself, not too thinly, 
Really, <laughs> my advice, speaking from someone who knows, but it allows you that opportunity to grow. So, would it be fair to say that your motivation is both challenge and enjoyment of the role that you're doing? I would say that that's correct. Yeah, I, I think I find the whole challenge of having to adapt to new situations, have a new understanding of a particular subject matter, it stretches you, doesn't it? I think it broadens you as a person. And that equally applies to different values, cultures and behaviours in those different places that you might work. We aren't all the same within government. We all have different operations and work differently. Yes, ultimately, Government has its own values and behaviours, but they can differ between different departments and divisions of government. Most recently, you completed the Isle of Man Government Senior Leadership Development Programme, and your bio says that you consider yourself fortunate to lead such a high-performing team of dedicated professionals, which do go the extra mile to assist ship owners and operators to keep their vessels operating commercially. But what makes you a good leader? Well, I hope that I am. Um, <laughs> I, I think that I I have been given the tools, I think, and learned the tools to become a good leader. When I say that, I would say it in the context of, again, with being within a large organisation that provides courses and development opportunities. I got involved, as you rightly say, in leadership development. So I've done the Institute of Leadership and Management Level 5 was my first one as a sort of middle manager within government. Um, Then I did the Senior Leadership Development Programme. And I'm currently about to start the Executive Leadership Development Programme. And all of those courses prepare you, I say, as as a leader. Myers-Briggs has talked about quite consistently throughout the mm. programmes as one style of leadership. And I think it's that ability to be able to flex those leadership styles. Not everyone responds in the same way to the same questions. So it's, it's knowing your staff team, definitely. Knowing the people you're having a conversation with in a room. And they might be people that you've never met before, which can be challenging. But observation, response, consideration, listening. I find that the one thing I have learned in my period is always be prepared to listen and listen to things that you might not want to hear as well. I think it's important. We need to be empathetic as leaders and we need to understand our workforces, what motivates them as well. And are those individuals individuals that want to be challenged or stretched or that? Are they those individuals who would rather perform well and perform well in the same role? Mm. Which is, there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Not everybody wants to be challenged and pushed and stretched. A good quality of a leader is recognising and understanding what motivates their team. We'll get back to the interview in a second, but I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Sea Trade Maritime Club a private membership club connecting senior leaders from across the global shipping industry. Our members are senior professionals representing ship owners, ship operators or ship management companies. If you want to find out more, please go to www.seatrademaritimeclub.com. Thank you. And now I'll get back to the interview. Part of 
your role and the role of your team is stakeholder management as well as obviously looking after the ship registry's clients. Stakeholder management can be hard. (laughs) What would you say to your team who are learning this particular skill? Obviously, it's challenging and different challenges from different areas, I would say. As a regulator, that is probably where most of our challenge comes from, compliance with regulation or interpretation of regulation. I think what we've done really well at the ship registry is be able to develop those relationships where we're known and trusted. And I think from a client perspective, regardless if they agree or disagree with an answer that we give, they know that the answer that we're giving them will be factual, it will be correct, and we'll work with them in any way we can to make those improvements, whatever they might be, or to fix a problem, whatever that might be. So I think engagement for me, it is about knowing your client, and we work very, very hard on improving those relationships, nurturing new relationships. And that involves, well, in the last few years, it's involved a lot of Teams conversations and and Zoom calls, but we have always traveled as the ship registry. We've got business development managers now within certain areas around the world, China, Singapore, uh, Greece, uh, Europe, um, to name a few, Japan as well. And we use those business development managers to continue that stakeholder engagement when we're not there. So in effect, they are the ship registry when they go and see our clients Mm. and they feed back from our clients to us as well. When we travel, which is to most of these destinations where we have business development managers, that will be twice per year on a normal year. And our business development managers arrange meetings, lunches, dinners with our client base while we're we're there. So it's normally a full week of meetings, five meetings a day, at least I would say. We continue that stakeholder engagement and we allow different staff members from in the organization to take part at those events. So it, it won't always be me that goes to Hamburg, for example, SMM was on last week. One of my principal surveyors went instead of me and he met up with our business development manager in Germany and he went out and did the client, client visits. Likewise with our registrar's team, our senior registrar, she will often attend visits with me as well because it's a different client base, it's a different stakeholder base than a survey question or a survey answer. We also deal with lawyers, we deal with insurers, and the registrars are better suited to answer a lot of their questions. So that engagement, again, is better if it comes from somebody who completely understands the picture and the questions being asked. So we've touched on the fact that Obviously, your organisation is a busy one that involves travel alongside its kind of day-to-day operations. And we've touched on the fact that there are many of your team that you encourage to take advantage of learning and development. It's something that I hear from my team as well, that they would like to learn more and they're keen to take training courses. But I often get asked the question, I'm going to ask you, and that is, how do you encourage your team to take advantage of learning opportunities when their day job gets in the way? 
I think we're quite fortunate, I would say, in the ship registry in that we have a fairly small team, actually. I mean, we're 30 people that sit in very distinctive areas, I suppose, within the organisation. So we have a, a sort of survey and technical team. We have a registrar and client relations team. Uh, we have a policy and legislation team. And then we have a sort of corporate team. So within those distinctive areas, there's always enough staff members to be able to cover other staff members' work. So I do, we will encourage them to attend courses, whichever that might be. So a lot of my senior staff members are involved in ILM, the Institute of Leadership and Management. They'll be doing middle management or senior management courses at the moment. We have one staff member who's doing a degree that's now external to the organisation and we, we are funding that degree because we believe that that we benefit the organisation overall, but particularly them. Government runs a lot of courses for its employees, be that mental health and well-being, computing courses, multitude, multitude of different courses. And we always give them the time to attend these. So just managing staff team, I suppose, and expectations, I guess. I remember having a conversation with somebody once and it was uh, along the lines of, and it wasn't in, in the ship registry, I have to say, but there was a course that somebody had applied for that wasn't particularly appropriate to their role. And I, I can't exa exactly remember what the course was, but what they were asking me was, would you let them go? And I said, well, is it developing them? And he said, well, yes, but it won't be any use to us within our organisation. I said, well, then it's a development opportunity for them, isn't it? You should let them go. And they did enjoy the course. So you can't just think of yourself as training. I think when you're in division of a department of government, you can't think of yourself as too insular. I would like to be considered that we're sort of a talent incubator in a way. We have senior surveyors that come to us, we give them other skills, and then they leave again. And that's actually fine because they progress in their careers. Their careers don't have to always progress with me or with the ship registry or indeed with government. It is about making sure that people have time, that personal development time. And I believe we do quite well of it. We have a good training record. We, we keep training records, all the courses that everyone's ever done we keep a record of. It's one of our KPIs and one of our objectives through our quality management system. We do okay on that, I think. Thank you, Cameron. Aside from your director role, you're an ambassador of IC, which is a non-profit organisation with a mission to map global pollution and maritime hazards. And you sit on the board of the International Super Yacht Society, whose mission is to promote excellence and ensure sustainability in the global yachting industry. You also make time for fishing, golfing, rugby union, boating. We talked about um, bikes as well. So how do you make your work-life balance work? And how do you ensure your team achieve the same work-life balance? Good question. Um, again, I think it's about doing the things you enjoy. So... I enjoy everything maritime. I want to be involved in as many things maritime as I can be, but know that you can't get involved in everything. So I think you you have to pick the things that you want to support, feel a need to support, um, which I do. I 
make time for the things I like doing outside of work, which you listed there. I think it's more difficult probably in recent years with all the events that have taken place, the pandemic, etc. I think that that changed probably our yeah. work-life balances a little. But what we decided to do at the ship registry and what we've continued with is a hybrid working model. So what we said um, when we returned from COVID and, and the office being closed for a considerable period of time was for those of you that want to, for the staff team that want to take advantage of it, we'll continue with a hybrid working system. So if they choose to take part, that is entirely up to them. Um, they can work from home, work from the office. It isn't day or time based. What we've said is we'd like to see you in the office as a minimum of two days a week. Mm. And some people do three, four days a week. Some people do two days a week. I've timed my office time when I come in to ensure I see all of the staff teams and all the individuals within the staff teams. So I uh, touch base regularly with everybody. I think after COVID to continue that allowed a lot of people to maintain what a new work-life balance might have been. Yeah. Um, and it seems to, you know, it works well for some, Emma, not all. And we completely have to acknowledge and understand that as well. Um, be that through situation, um, wife, family, you know, all of those things are different for everyone. I managed to maintain mine. I think it goes back to that same answer is that I, I do a full day's work every day. How I split up that work day um, will depend on lots of things, meetings, etc. Mm. But it allows me to work differently, I suppose. If the dog needs a walk at one o'clock in the afternoon and it's sunshine and it's winter time in the Isle of Man, then I'll, I'll go and walk the dog for an hour. I'll, <laughs> I'll make up that hour somewhere else, you know? Yeah. And I think having that flexibility, I believe, ensures that the, the staff team and myself maintain that work-life balance that we need. I think you're absolutely right. I almost feel I don't need to ask this question, but I'm going to anyway. You're clearly passionate about the maritime industry and it is the sector you are happiest within. But if you hadn't have had the career you have, what would you have been? Interesting question, actually. Uh, <laughs> there was a couple of other options that I was looking at, as I remember, when I was 17, 18. One was in Scotland at the time, they ran a cadetship through Northern Constabulary, I think it was then, um, which was a division of the police force in Scotland. And they took on a number of cadets every year and trained you up as an officer over a period of time. And I, I did look and did it get, I did get accepted for that cadetship. Uh, one of the other ones was uh, civil engineering through the army as an officer. Um, through the Royal Engineers. I didn't get too far down that route, but it, it was something I did consider. And then I ended up doing a cadetship in the Merchant Navy. So there was always, I think, something about engineering fascinated mm -hmm. me. And if I, if I couldn't do engineering and more theory-based engineering, I suppose a degree or something like that, it was always going to be a practical 
engineering experience, it would be better for me. I think that's where uh, the practical element of it that I liked. I managed to do the coursework. I wouldn't say I was the cleverest person in the world, but we, <laughs> we got through that. But it, it, was the, it was the hands-on engineering that I really liked. There's nothing better at being at sea and having all the machinery in the world to play with. <laughs> it must be um, more difficult now to make your decision because there are so many other fields available to you within the industry, particularly with obviously the advent of digitalization in particular. Trying to, I suppose in a way, choose your specialism must be a lot harder than it would have been 20, 30 years ago. The one thing that I'm... I'm really proud of about the Isle of Man is diversification, I think, of maritime sector in the Isle of Man. Um, you know, we used to talk about careers at sea, you know, it was, it was a cadetship, it was an electrician, it was a, a radio officer, a steward, a cook, a crew member. But maritime now, for, I think for the first time, is getting recognised over the last sort of five to ten years, it's just been so much bigger. Yeah, It's the lawyers that deal in maritime law that register mortgages. It's the insurance providers that deal particularly in marine insurance. It's all of those things. So when we talk about maritime now with the youth in the Isle of Man, we don't just talk about careers at sea anymore. We talk about careers within Isle of Man maritime. And actually, there's a lack of knowledge, I would say, around what that might look like to a lot of our youth. And we're working hard to educate them on that. And I think that's, that's the other important role of the ship registry is acting as that nucleus for that centre of maritime excellence here. We support the maritime sector. The maritime sector supports us. And we've done a lot of joint educational projects recently to raise the profile of maritime in the Isle of Man. And that seems to be working. It seems to be a lot more of the youth engaging with us at the moment, which is great news, I think. It can only be good for the industry. If we can grow our own talent in the Isle of Man, so to speak, and they move into a maritime sector, and then if they move on elsewhere, we'll, we'll still have done our job ultimately. We've got people involved in maritime, which I think is key at the moment for us. If somebody listening to this podcast wanted to find out more about job opportunities, where should they look? If they're in the Isle of Man, it's through Isle of Man Maritime. That's the cluster organisation that looks after Isle of Man Maritime members. If it's in the UK, I would contact all the UK training establishments that do cadetships, etc. There is the Maritime Industries within the UK, which are a group, which is a great place to get connected with. Ultimately, I would say it's think about all the things you can be in maritime as well as any other job, you know, would be that in IT, insurance, law, all of those things apply to maritime. So there's opportunities everywhere, really. Thanks, Cameron. And just to add to your busy schedule, I know that appointed as ambassador of Island Man for the Sea Trade Maritime Club. Why is it important for clubs like this to bring together members and what do you hope your role will bring to the table? A very good friend of mine once said to me, Cameron, maritime people like talking to maritime people. And I think that's his reference was actually shipping people like to talk to shipping people. And I think that's true for maritime. Mm. It's having the conversations about where we are now, what the future looks like, 
how, as a ship registry, how can I and my team at the ship registry support a green technology future? What do we need? What do clients need from us? And what issues and blockages are around us that we're not aware of? So I think the expertise within the Maritime Club provides the conversation, allows us to have those discussions, that allows us to table problems, solutions, which I think we probably don't share enough. I think there's a lot of good maritime companies have great solutions for what may or may not be considered problematic issues. But I think sometimes those solutions aren't shared. I think it also gives us the opportunity to discuss the International Maritime Organization, new conventions, new standards, new codes, how they might impact us, what we can do to work together to solve some of those issues. So I think it's a it's a very interesting place, very interesting group to be involved with. Thank you, Cameron, and thank you for your time today. I, I think the listeners to this podcast will agree that was a really interesting insight into your career and what people wanting to join the shipping and maritime industry should be looking to learn as well. So thank you and thank you for your time. Thank you, Emma.